Hello and welcome to Timeless Truths, a sermon podcast from St. Mark Ministries in Greater Green Bay, Wisconsin. This week we continue our series, Thriving in a Time of Crisis. In episode 7, let's join Pastor John Parlow as we learn about the hunt for truth. So open up your heart, open up your Bible, and let's dig in to these timeless truths. It is great to have you join us again as we continue a series we've entitled Thriving in a Time of Crisis, kind of a look at our culture and see how we can best leverage everything God's given us to share a message of the gospel with people who right now are far from Jesus and have no memory of the gospel. And I'm so glad that you have joined us both online and in purpose, or in person, sorry, and on purpose. Okay, that's good. Dr. James Emery White recently commented in a blog about the decline of church attendance in America after the pandemic. He cited a study conducted by the Christian Research Institute out of Arizona Christian University, and it indicated that the percentage of adults 39 years old to 57 year old who attend church on the weekend either in person or online has now fallen to 28% in 2023. That's a fall from 41% in 2020. That is a big drop. Why does that happen? We likely could come up with several factors for that decline, but I'd like to ask us a more important question. What are we to do with that? Now, I'm sure we would come up with several suggestions, especially practical ones, in answering that good question. But as we do, let's make sure we never forget the the key dynamic, which is this. The church must be the church. We must continue to be a gathering, a movement, an assembly of people. That's what the church is. It's not a building. It's people who've been called out of the darkness of unbelief into the light of Jesus. The church on earth can offer something that the world can never offer. Authentic, biblical community. People from different backgrounds, people from different walks of life, all walking in the same path for the same purpose. People who will pray for you. People who will praise with you. People who will point you to Jesus. People who will even point out the need for truth in your life when you don't want to hear it because they're concerned about your soul. The church offers what the world cannot. Authentic, biblical community. For several weeks now, we've been involved in a series that we've entitled Thriving in a a Time of Crisis. And we're taking a look at the times in which we live, the attitudes, the trends, the zeitgeist, right? The spirit of the age. We've already noted that by nature we're all born sinful and bad. Not good like our world sometimes tries to peddle. We've talked about the exclusivity of Christianity. And last week we talked about God's design for marriage and the family. We need to understand the times in which we live so we can better understand how we can navigate those waters for Christ and for the gospel's sake. Jesus has asked us to do this. On one occasion he said this in Matthew 16. He replied, when evening comes... You say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning, 
today it'll be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Today, we're going to take a look at the mindset of our culture, its attitudes, its thinking. And one thing you notice when you take a look at our culture right away is there's a lot of truths out there. There's a fancy word for that. It's called pluralization. You and I live and minister in a culture that has a lot of options, a lot of ideas, a lot of beliefs, a lot of worldviews, a lot of religions. We have so many options in so many areas of our life, physical and spiritual. It seems like they double every two months. For example, years ago when I was in high school and you wanted to take your date to uh, the theater to watch a movie, you only had two options, right? Some of you remember that? You had to watch the first movie, which was a B movie, which meant it was lousy, it was awful. But you had to endure it so you could watch the movie after it, which was the headliner you came to see in the first place. Those are the only options we had. Now, man, you want to watch a movie at the theater? You go to the theater, they're beautiful, the floors aren't sticky, none of that's true. You're in recliner chairs with cup holders, and you've got maybe 15, 20 movies to choose from. Or maybe you don't like the theater, so you've got hundreds of channels of cable, right, on your cable. Or maybe you've cut the cable, like so many of you. And then you have at your disposal a plethora of streaming platforms that you can utilize. So many options today. Now, with all those options, how has that affected the church? Well, it's interesting. There's a guy, there's a sociologist, Peter Berger, who's kind of famous, and he said the, the traditional role of religion in America was a sacred canopy over contemporary culture. But now he believes it has changed. Here's his quote, as you see. Religion, at least in terms of the idea of there being a God, largely Judeo-Christian in its background, that life and thought had to consider, blanketed all of society and culture. Today, the canopy is gone, replaced instead by millions of small tents under which we can choose to dwell. With the increase of those options, there are a lot of people who think that there are a lot of truths out there and they're all equally valid. He's got his truth, you have your truth, you've got your truth, they're all true, they're all equally true. But here's the reality, people. If everything is true, then nothing is true. If you water down truth, you have meaninglessness. That's what you have. Truth, by its very definition, has to be restrictive. It has to be exclusive. Like the law of gravity, it has to correspond to reality. If I tell you, hey, it's sunny outside, and you go outside and it's sunny, I have spoken words of truth. They correspond to reality. But if you go outside and you find out it's cloudy or raining, I have not spoken words of truth. They don't correspond to reality. So when people run around, some listening, and believe everything is true today, everything is true, you diminish what truth is, and you know what you're left with? What people today call truthiness. It is your emotions that determine what's true for you because ultimately you believe you're the final arbiter of truth. 
truthiness is, is the belief that you can determine for yourself what the truth is for you, looking at the facts at hand, and also creating the truth for you, despite the facts at hand, all based on your emotions. Marshall Poe, several years ago in the Atlantic Magazine, quoted something that's quoted again and again and again. It's this. If the community changes its mind and decides that 2 plus 2 equals 5, then 2 plus 2 equals 5. So what does that mean for something like the historic Christian faith? It means Jesus can become whoever you want him to be. Woke Jesus? MAGA Jesus? Hipster Jesus? AI Jesus? Whatever Jesus you're most comfortable with, that's the Jesus for you. Now how does that kind of zeitgeist impact your life? Well, if there really is no right or wrong, truth or falsehood, it's just subjective, then what you're really left with is the fact that no one has any personal responsibility or accountability. You are really never guilty of anything at all. That's why if you have a background in psychology, you know this. They tend not to use words like evil, immorality, wrongdoing. That's why a few years back, a person studying culture said, we're no longer a group of sinners, we're just mistakers. A politician clearly taking bribes from another country. A professional athlete caught taking illegal performance-enhancing drugs. A student caught cheating on an exam. What do most people say about those folks today? Well, he was just doing what everyone else did before. You know, he just not even got caught. Or she was under a lot of stress. Or, well, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do to get ahead considering where he came from. Oh, it's not wrong. It's certainly not a sin. It's just a mistake. And that's where our culture has now landed. We're just a bunch of mistakers. But I got news for you. If you watch culture, you know this is happening. We're now not staying here. We're now doing something else. We're taking, we want to take our uh, mistakes in life and turn them into virtues. We want to take our mistakes in life and turn them into virtues, making them something good. We're deconstructing. We're, we're redefining. We're twisting. So lust is now sensuality. Anger issues is, well, he's just being honest about his feelings. Even the way some people will apologize to you, sort of, you hear it. Hey, I'm sorry that uh, you were offended by what I said and did. That's not an apology. You didn't admit that you had any wrongdoing. What you're actually saying to that person is an insult. Too bad you're so weak you can't handle what I said or did. We even have social scientists and politicians who think they know better than parents do with their kids. Tell them, you know, there are certain words you shouldn't share with kids, even in books. And so I don't know if you know this, but since 2008, the Oxford Junior Dictionary for Children removed the word sin and evil and a few other words. Why? 
because they felt it was injurious to children. That's the culture in which we live. And when you boil all of that down in that kind of mindset, you know what you have left? You have simply moral relativism. And that's pretty much where we are right now. We're in an anything-goes culture and mindset in our culture where truth is whatever you want it to be. Morals are all about your emotions. They're your choices. There is no objective moral standard for anybody. Morals are just choices. If you like it and no one gets, quote, hurt, then it's true for you, it's good for you. This is exactly the belief behind the vacuous statement, love is love. This is the justification given for gay marriage, open marriages, polyamorous relationships, living together before marriage, as well as having sexual relations with minors. Many don't call that pedophilia anymore. You're aware of that, right? They call that MAPS, Minor Attractive Persons, and it's seen as just another option for people. This is the belief that makes people think they are right by giving children and teens hormone blockers and double mastectomies. This is the excuse given for young people to go ahead and gather using social media and then raid a department store and steal everything they can carry out. Or not pay your loans back. This is the thinking behind, well, if you're going to stop racism, you need to be racist. If you're going to end discrimination, you need to discriminate. We live in a culture that has taken the demonic, literally, and evil, and made it good. But we've been here before. About 2,600 years ago, God's people were in a similar culture. God says to Jeremiah, are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So let's come full circle. How do we be the church in that kind of mindset in our mission field? How do we be the church? Do we just go ahead and circle the wagons and wait for Jesus to come back? Do we have the attitude that says, us four, no more, shut the door, it's dangerous out there? A cursory reading of the New Testament, starting with Jesus' marching orders for the church, go and make disciples of all nations, would lead us to do the following. First of all, repent. Repent. James writes to Christians like you and me, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We as Jesus followers sometimes need to repent because we have ignored or we've twisted God's word to fit our own sinful desires and options. It's the parent who looks the other way or maybe even supports having a child clearly live in a sinful lifestyle because, after all, you want your child to like you. It's seen in the person who manages a calendar on their phone with bad priorities where Jesus doesn't even make the top five. It's seen in people who are afraid to stand up for the truth because you're concerned what people might think about you. People today in our culture will examine the Bible looking for things that they don't accept. As Christians, we need to flip that and understand we are to allow the Bible to examine our lives and look for things that God does not accept. Sometimes we need to repent because we're not the church. Number two, love the lost. Jesus did. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Study after study says that many people will come to a worship service like this if you'll only invite them. And the younger generation certainly will come and watch us online before they go ahead and come in person. Continue to bring your one. You guys are so good at that. Continue to bring your one. Leverage your relationships and your friendships and technology for the gospel's sake. Paul once said this. He said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. We want people to know Jesus' forgiveness and salvation. You want the person you're thinking of right now, you want that person to know this truth. That even if you were a hundred or a thousand times worse than you are right now, that's still no match for Jesus' forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Paul on another occasion said this, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. We need to tell people that the message of the gospel is, I am so sinful that Jesus, the Son of God, came down from heaven and died for me. And at the same time, I'm so loved and precious that Jesus, the Son of God, gladly died for me. That gives you an incredible sense of humility in a pride-filled world and incredible confidence in a time of crisis. Number three, be prepared to answer good questions. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's exactly what we talk about on Wednesday nights around here. And we got plenty of room for you. We have a lot of people. We have room for more. For example, one of the things we'll teach you is this. When people challenge you about your Christian faith or challenge you about something taught in the Bible, 
listen, yeah, it's, it's not your duty to refute what they say. It's their job to support what they're claiming. For example, if someone says to you, well, you know the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they weren't written until hundreds of years after Jesus lived, which is false. Everyone knows that. Well, it's not your job to refute that. It's your job to ask some good questions. First question. What exactly are you saying? Can you unpack that for me? What do you mean by that? Listen. Number two question. How did you come to that conclusion? Why do you believe that? And then after you've listened, number three question is when you actually talk. Have you ever considered, and then you bring your side of that uh, discussion, you need to build bridges over which you bring the gospel by listening more and speaking less. Continual improvement in your study of God's truth. Hey, we've got room for you on Wednesday night. I truthfully don't believe there's any place better for you, your children, your teens, than this place on Wednesday night. So we're encouraging you to be here, okay? And number four, live differently. Swim against the current. Paul said, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If it was illegal for you to speak and to act as a Christian, would your coworkers, kids, would your classmates have you arrested by this Friday? Paul said this, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Jesus summed it up this way. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You want people to see Jesus in you and through you because you may be the only Jesus they ever see. How do we reach this mindset in our culture, this zeitgeist in our culture with the gospel? Be the church. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Timeless Truths. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, we're glad you could join us. For more information or to support the work of St. Mark Ministries, check out our website at stmarkministries.com. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue our series, Thriving in a Time of Crisis. And remember, you matter and you are loved.